There is great excitement in Quito, Ecuador this morning, not because I'm preaching here, but uh, because uh, uh, Andrew and Alexis and uh, their little girls, uh, we're going to miss them for uh, a a couple of weeks. They're going to fly into Quito this coming Wednesday, Lord willing, and you can well imagine those four grandchildren in Quito uh, who are waiting to uh, be at their beck and call. I told my daughter-in-law, I said, when uh, you arrive, you will see the rear end of your little girls, and you will see them again two and a half weeks later when you come home. Uh, I want to tell you that everything is fine in Quito. Philip is fully recovered from his surgery, and the Lord is keeping him busy, and uh, we're thankful for that. And thankful for your prayers and your concern, and uh, it's always, uh, always a joy to hear from them and to give you an update on on what's happening down there. Well, as we indicated earlier, we, we want to look at the 11th chapter of Luke. I'm so thankful for uh, Randy's uh, solo, uh, which reminds us that God is on the throne and we are on his heart. And uh, I'm going to seek to challenge each of our hearts this morning as we look at that chapter. But for those of us who are Uh, at the point where we have senior moments. You know what that means, Lorraine? I don't know if you're with me or not. But anyway, uh, we have little senior moments, and uh, and we come and we're privileged to be with you every uh, couple of months. Uh, I thought, well, maybe a little review, a quick review of what we have covered together before we go into the 11th chapter of Luke. Uh, You know, Luke was a Gentile in an all-Jewish cast uh, of of New Testament writers. And Luke's desire and his purpose is to show how Jesus includes all those typically treated as outsiders by the religious establishment. Maybe you're new here this morning and, uh, and you're enjoying the fellowship, but let me tell you, you're welcome here. And uh, we're delighted that you're here and we trust that when you leave, you will have sensed the presence of God, not only among the believers here, but uh, as we seek to share his word with you. All are welcome. Uh, the key verse is chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he came for. To seek and to save the lost. And I'm so thankful that he found me clear back in 1950 in a little country called Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I'm so thankful for his saving grace and his keeping power, and his presence in my life and in the life of my family. Jesus Christ, the compassionate Son of Man, He came to live among sinners, to love them, to help them, and to die for their sins. And that's the news we have for you this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that that He has already paid the price. All you have to do is trust Him. All you have to do is accept Him, trust Him as your Savior and Lord this morning, and I trust you will. In chapter 1, we have the story of a childless couple conceiving, Elizabeth and Zechariah. A son is born to them, and his name is John. And six months later, Mary receives word that she is to bear a son. And he is born, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Christ is born. We read it in chapter 2. Chapter 3, John prepares the way for him. John is later imprisoned for his open ministry. Jesus is baptized and begins his public ministry, even as John ends his. Chapter 4, Jesus in the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan. He's also rejected by his own hometown, Nazareth. In chapter 5, the first disciples are called by Jesus. Chapter 7 and 8, Jesus performs many miracles. Chapter 7, the question we asked is, how strong is your faith? How strong is your faith in Him? Uh, Chapter 8, faith 
in a compassionate Savior. And we shared some thoughts there. We remembered and shared together how life is changing every day. The last time I was with you, I was reminded of the fact that we were so close to the 11th of September, uh, a year anniversary of that tragic, as the world sees it, that tragedy in, uh, in New York City at the World Trade Centers. And, and uh, you know the full story. I don't need to dwell on that at all. But you know God is in control. And God knows exactly the beginning from the end. And we trust Him for it. People asking, how do you find God? Well, there's a deeper search isn't there for meaning in everyday life and yet as time goes by I wonder as time goes by we still as determined to find God and I suggest to you this morning that uh, perhaps just perhaps there are more people looking for a church looking for a fellowship looking for an opportunity looking for information regarding the Lord Jesus Christ as this matter of salvation and eternal life and assurance of eternal life uh, we're approaching a time again where things are going to change. Our nation will never be the same. Our world will never be the same. But we have a risen, glorified Savior seated at the right hand of God this morning. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise His name. Well, how is it with you? How strong is your faith, we asked? How's your daily walk with your Savior? Is He your Savior and your Lord? There's a difference. There's a difference. And then last time we were with you in September, we spoke about lessons on faith for the believer. Twelve disciples were sent out as the Lord sent them out to, to minister and to share. Uh, what is faith? Well, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we read, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. And I have to ask you this morning, if I may make this very simple example here, Christmas is coming. I heard just a day or two ago, so I suppose we're two or three days closer, but we're in the 40, low 40s before Christmas morning. Isn't that wonderful to know that? Now you can relax. And you're going to be out there and you're going to be shopping and buying gifts and getting ready to share. And you just love to give those gifts. I know you do. And you love to receive gifts. And I want to ask you a question this morning. When someone offers you a gift and gives it to you, do you immediately say, oh no, I can't take that. I, I can't take that, really. Of course not. You take it and you thank them for it. God offers you a wonderful gift this morning. The gift of eternal life through faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship we shared together. It's a fellowship. It's a matter of practicing His presence. How's it been with you in the last couple of months since I was with you? Uh, can I just ask you again, are you practicing His presence in your life? You know, it's a wonderful experience. I have to tell you this. As I sit in the morning and I read and I meditate and I seek to do it, I, I'm, I'm like the rest of you. There are sometimes that things get in the way and I, unfortunately I don't get to spend the time. And sometimes it's later in the day before I get to the Word. But you know, I just love to sit in that chair. I'm retired now. And I'd love to sit in that chair in that spare room upstairs and look over that beautiful area in Lake Almanor, California. And thank the Lord for His presence in my life. Presence in the life of my wife, in my family. Are you practicing His presence? You see, He wants to meet with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to fellowship with you. Will you simply say, Lord, come in and fellowship with me? Oh, I know you've trusted Him as Savior, but I ask you this morning, uh, do you invite Him into your life, into the activities of your life, into your thought life, into every action of your life every day? I'll tell you, it'll make a difference in your life. It'll make a difference.
fully, fully surrendering to Him. Oh, I, I love that, that number that Randy sang for us, not only this morning, but the last time I was here. And I want to remind you of the words once again. Steve Green sings and he says, I regret the hours I have wasted and the pleasures I have tasted that you were never in. And I confess that though, you, through your love, though your love is in me, it doesn't always win me when competing with my sin. I lament the idols I've accepted, the commandments I've rejected to pursue my selfish end, and I confess I need you to revive me, put selfishness behind me, and take up my cross again. And I repent, making no excuses. I repent, no one else to blame. And I return to fall in love with Jesus. I bow down on my knees and I repent. Those are the words, spirit-filled words, that Steve Green shares with us in that wonderful song. But this morning we come to a a wonderful portion of Scripture, I believe. It follows the fact that uh, the Lord Jesus, in chapter 10, He sent out the 70... Uh, 72, and then later on he's in the home of Martha and Mary. And you remember as we come to the close of chapter 10, uh, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset. Why? Because you're so involved with doing instead of being. You're so involved with doing instead of being. And you know that's you and me. That's you and me. I've got to do it. I've got to be busy. My dear, dear mother-in-law, almost 86, and she said to me last night, John, I can't even relax because I think of all the things I ought to be doing. I said, Mother, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. The Lord has blessed her. And the Lord says to Martha, He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What was that? Just resting at the feet of Jesus and worshiping Him. I know some of you have got to go to work every day, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, we need to practice His presence in our lives. You know, chapter 11 is a, is a learning experience in the life of the believer once again, and I love it. Perhaps as we read this 11th chapter of Luke, uh, we may imagine that the, the teaching of our Lord Jesus to His disciples and those with Him may have developed as a result of a prayer meeting, a miracle, or maybe even an invitation to come and have dinner with Him. And so we're going to read the first 13 verses. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Let's pray, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would just open it up in the power of your spirit to us, Father, and may we truly hear your voice this morning. And may the message that's to be shared be that message that you want to be shared, and nothing more. May Christ be honored and exalted, for we ask it in his name. Amen. In verses 1 through 13, I believe we have the importance and the necessity of prayer. Could I ask you a question this morning? How's your prayer life? Oh, I mean, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Think about it as we share a few thoughts here. For first of all, I want to tell you that in verse 1, we have the priority of prayer brought before us. The Lord Jesus is praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples says to him, Lord... Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord, just as John taught his disciples. Now, you know, it's interesting to me that John the Baptist uh, was much more than a prophet or a martyr, by the way. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. Was he a miracle baby? Well, we read in the Scriptures, he was full of the Holy Spirit before his birth. Yet he had to pray. He had to pray. John introduced the Messiah to Israel. What an honor. What a privilege. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Yet he, John, had to pray. In Luke 7 and verse 28, the Lord Jesus tells us that John was the greatest of prophets, the greatest of prophets in his day, and yet John had to depend on prayer. John had to depend on prayer. So vital was this to him who had so many advantages, so vital. How about us? How about us? Is it by gum and, you know, by luck? And I hope so. Is that the way your life is conducted most of the time? I'm talking to Christians this morning. Is it only when there's a problem that we come to the Lord in prayer? Think about it as we kind of search together on our prayer life this morning. In verse 1, John's disciples had to pray. Jesus' disciples wanted to learn how to pray. Not how to preach. Not how to perform great miracles. Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. You know, we often think that we, you and I, would be better Christians if only we had been with Jesus when he was on earth. But you know something? It's very unlikely. Very unlikely. We shared in the morning service this morning a little bit about those two walking to Emmaus on the road to Emmaus. They'd just been with him. They'd just spent who knows how many days and weeks and months with him. They'd heard him. He had shared with them. And yet they were going down on the road and their heads bowed low, discouraged. Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples failed on many occasions. They'd performed miracles, but now they wanted to learn how to pray. They wanted to learn how to pray. You know, our Lord Jesus was a man of prayer. Does that surprise you? The Son of God, very God Himself, yet He had to pray to the Father. As a matter of fact, if you go through the New Testament, you'll find that He calls the Father and upon the Father in prayer over 200 times as He goes to Him in prayer. We see Him at His baptism in Luke 3. 
21. We see Him when the crowds increased in chapter 5 and verse 16. We see Him in prayer in chapter 6 when choosing the twelve disciples. We see Him in chapter 9, verse 18, before asking the twelve, Who do you say I am? They've just told Him who the, the, the people say He is. And then He turns to them and says, Who do you say that I am? And I ask you the question as I ask myself. Who do you say He is? Is he the one you go to when you're in deep despair, without a job? The cabinets are emptying and you don't have the money. The car is wearing out and you can't afford to buy a new one. So you go to him in prayer. Or are you there in the morning at noon and at night saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Lord, help me to live for you every moment of every day. We find him at his transfiguration in chapter 9 and verse 29. And we find him in chapter 22 of Luke where he prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He was, you see, he was willing to go to the cross, to die, to be bruised and marred for your sake and mine, for your sins and mine. Oh, the disciples longed to learn the secret of his spiritual power and wisdom. You see, Mark in, in chapter 1 tells us a little bit about, uh, about the Lord Jesus and the fact that uh, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Mark 1 verse 35. And I found these in the Daily Bread recently and I want to share them with you again because I think they're worth sharing. And the writer says, Consider the day in Jesus' life, recorded in Mark 1, 21-34. It began with a visit to the synagogue to teach, which he did with authority. Then things got rough. A demon-possessed man started shouting at Jesus. Calmly but sternly, the teacher cast out the demon. When Jesus left the synagogue, he and his friends went to Peter's house. But he couldn't rest. Peter's mother-in-law was sick and needed his healing touch. Later, the entire town gathered outside so Jesus could heal more sick people, and cast out more demons. It must have been a tiring day. Think about it. How did Jesus respond? Did he take the next day off? Did he head for the cool mountain streams of Caesarea Philippi? No, the next day he got up before sunrise, found a solitary place, and prayed. He sought the rejuvenating power of his Father's presence. We often wonder, I, and I know this, for I've experienced it, why do we fail here and there? Why is it that we don't seem to have the, the ability and the wisdom sometimes to make the right decision? And then, lo and behold, as we think back, somehow we forgot to pray. And the writer here says, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. You're too busy. Think about it as you consider the life of the Lord Jesus and your life in His presence. Mark tells us that our Lord Jesus often prayed alone. Hebrews 5, 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverent submission. Praying to the Father. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saw the value of prayer and the importance and the great necessity of prayer. How about you and me this morning? 
Effective prayer is a provision for every need and the solution for every problem. Warren Wearsby reminds us. Oh, how much we need to practice his presence in our lives. But you know, it's not just priority, but it's also the pattern for prayer. Verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. And uh, we could also read it in Matthew 6, but for the sake of time we won't. You go back and look at it. Matthew 6, 9 to 15, the Lord's Prayer. And notice it is the Lord's Prayer because He taught it. Let me make that clear. It is the Lord's Prayer, and it is called the Lord's Prayer because He taught it. Not because He needed it. You see, the Lord Jesus did not require forgiveness. Amen? Amen. He was the perfect Son of God. But He gave us a pattern. The Lord's Prayer. And so often, I believe, that we could all stand and recite it together and not realize exactly what we've said. True prayer depends, I believe, on a spiritual relationship with God that enables me to call Him Father. Father. Think of it. What a relationship. This only comes through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. You see, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Because of your sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You see, we're no longer slaves, Galatians, the writer to Galatians says, but a son and also an heir. An heir. I hope it just tickles you right out of your socks when you think of your position in Christ and what you have in Him. You know, of all people, we ought to just be rejoicing in Him. Oh, we Sometimes we get so worked up. I, I speak personally. I don't mind telling you. We, we get so worked up when... We sing a chorus, or we sing a hymn, and we see some hands going up, and we say, what's what's going to happen next? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Enough said. You know, Bill Moyers, once the press secretary to Lyndon Johnson at a staff luncheon, was asked to pray. And maybe you've heard this. President Johnson couldn't hear him. And so he said, speak up, Bill. I can't hear a thing. And Morris replied very quietly, I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. I was speaking to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You see, we need to consider the value of speaking with our God and to our God. True prayer also involves responsibilities. Yes, it does. Verse 2, we honor His kingdom. Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Seeking His will on earth. Not what I want, but what He wants in my life. To be worked out through my life. Asking God to use me to accomplish what He wants so that His name may be glorified. His kingdom extended and His will done upon the earth. What are your motives for praying? I ask again this morning. In chapter 15 and verse 7, John says, if you remain, the Lord Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Now, that doesn't mean that I run down and say, Lord, I need a new Cadillac, and I'd like a newer home down closer to the lake, and I'd like to just have it fully furnished, Lord. No, remember, he says, in this abiding chapter, he says, 
if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask what you wish and it will be given you. And you will find a real difference in that prayer. It's not give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, but it's Lord, have your will in my life. A secure relationship allows me to bring my requests to Him. Verses 3 and 4. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. He will surely provide our needs, not our greeds, as someone has so rightfully said. Praying for His will in my life. Oh, the value of prayer. The priority, the pattern for prayer, and then the persistence in prayer, verses 5 and 8. The Lord Jesus tells of a parable and he didn't suggest that God is like a man's grouchy neighbor. That's not what he's saying. He's rather the very opposite. If a tired and selfish neighbor finally meets the needs of a bothersome friend, how much more will God meet your needs and mine? Prayer is based on sonship. I am his son. I am his child. Our Father, which art in heaven. Yet our Lord Jesus used friendship to illustrate the persistence in prayer. We are the children of God. We read in Galatians chapter 4. And he has promised in Hebrews 13.5 that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And then we have the promises for prayer. We've talked about the priority. We've talked about the pattern. We've talked about persistence in praying. And uh, persistence in praying reminds me again of another article I read recently. And these are the prayers of the Lord Jesus. And he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their, through their word. John 17 verse 20. He prays for you and me each day, every moment of every day. Jesus prayed for his friends, despite their frequent failings. With the agony of the cross approaching, he prayed for Peter, even though he knew Peter would deny him within hours. Jesus prays for you and me too, John 17, 20-26. His work of prayer, which began before his death and resurrection, continues to this day. Although we sometimes act more like his enemies than his friends, Jesus is in the Father's presence interceding for us. Do you believe that? He's interceding for you this very moment. Following Christ's examples, we're to pray for our friends and acquaintances even when they hurt us. If there's someone you can pray for today, think about it. Someone you can pray for. Persistence in prayer. And so there's one more thought that I want to share with you, and I say it humbly this morning. I don't really, I'm not up here bragging about it because I know that God answers our prayers according to His perfect will, and that's the way we pray. But I want to rejoice with you, and I want you to rejoice with me because you've been praying for us for a long, long time. I know you have, and our family. And you've been praying for Brenda and her lymphoma. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God has answered prayer. And about, uh, what was it, two weeks ago, sweetie, somewhere in there, she came into my room. I was studying there, and she says, you know, honey, the lumps are gone. The lumps are gone. I don't know for how long. I'm trusting God that it's eternal, that it's forever, that it's over. But only He knows. Praise God, He has answered prayer, and I'm thankful for that, according to His perfect plan. But, you know, as I said earlier, that brings responsibilities. When God gives me the health and strength, and I know you prayed for me, and I've had a step put in since, uh, I don't know, it was since I saw you last or, or shortly thereafter. But anyway, 
uh, you know, God is, God is good. He gives us the health and strength for every day. And let's thank Him for it. Amen. Let's not forget. Keep on asking. Promises for prayer, verses 9 through 13. Not only in the times of emergency, but keep in constant communion with Him. That's my message for you this morning. God is, is, has not moved. And He will not move. <laughs> he desires our fellowship. Keep in constant communion with Him. Our Lord Jesus called this abiding in chapter 15, verse 1. Paul exhorts us to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5:17. And finally, look at verses 11 to 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will we'll give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Underline that, won't you? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I will never leave you nor forsake you. In verses 14 to 28, our Lord Jesus, quickly now, our time is rapidly drawing to a close, but you know, our Lord Jesus drives out a demon that was mute. And he experiences Satan's accusation in verses 14 to 16. And Jesus refutes them. Uh, If your God gives us a sign, they say, Uh, as we read those verses there. And Jesus, verse 17 says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoil. He who is not with me, the Lord Jesus says, is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Here he was, the Son of God, in their very presence, And they're accusing him of doing things that were totally the opposite of what he wanted to do. He refutes them in verses 17 to 22. And he gives them three arguments. First, he says, it's illogical. Why should Satan fight against himself? And then he says, your charges are self-incriminating. And finally, he says, your accusations are really an admission of my power as a son of God. You see, it's impossible to be neutral, neutral in the spiritual way. Where do you stand today? You know, the crowds increased, verses 29 to 36. They increased, but this didn't impress the Lord Jesus. To the disciples, they said, consider Jonah, his experience, a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. Think about it. Jesus rose from the dead. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, as we read in Romans 1.4. And this was the message at Pentecost, by the way, in Acts chapter 2. Is also the, the central theme of the early church. He is the risen one. And it's our theme this morning, is it not? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And he offers you eternal life. And then the second thing he says is consider Solomon. Verse 31. The wisdom of the king and not the works of a prophet. The queen of Sheba traveled many miles to see this great man. To hear the wisdom of King Solomon. And yet he said, one greater than Jonah is here, one greater than Solomon is here. The Jews would not believe, yet the Gentiles believed, and praise God for that. And the gospel has come to you and me as a result of that. How about our daily lives? How does our light shine 
before our friendly neighbors and those we come in contact with each day. Does the Holy Spirit control you? Does He fill you so that your light shines? Who is in control, I might ask this morning? How is your testimony? How is your testimony? Especially, especially when you're alone. When you're alone. Nobody else around. Are you experiencing or practicing the presence of God in your life? I know I'm looking at a, at a room full of high-level executives here. And I ask you again this morning, when you're alone, you're still in the presence of the living God. Are you practicing His presence in your life? Are you spending time in prayer, speaking and fellowshipping with the one who loved you and gave himself for you? Do you know the man of prayer this morning? The Lord Jesus. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says you shall be saved, saved, saved eternally. I wonder if you've confessed him this morning. If you haven't, I invite you to do that today. Oh, the room isn't going to shake. Hopefully. The lights aren't going to go out. But the light of the Word of God is going to come into your heart and life. And will make a new man, new woman, new, new teenager, new person in Christ Jesus. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. May it be your experience this morning. And those of us who know him as our Savior, may we never ever forget that he's as close to us as a whisper, a prayer. Lord, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your wisdom. Lord, undertake for me in these moments of tremendous pressure in my life, be it business, family, or whatever. He's there and he cares for you. The hymn writer says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. And we're just going to I think, brother, rather than uh, uh, sing it, we're, we're, our time is so, so fast running out. I'm just going to read it, one verse. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer, shall we? And if you have a question, if you have a concern, you'd like to come down and chat with me. My right hand is still good, and I can turn the pages. I'll be happy to share with you the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your love to us. Oh, we thank you, Father, for our Lord Jesus, for his death upon the cross, for His burial, for His glorious resurrection. Oh, Father, we thank You that we serve a risen Savior who is seated at Your right hand interceding for us today and who is able to save to the uttermost all who will come to Him. And so I pray, Father, if there's one here today who needs You, may they come and trust You whom to know is life eternal. And those of us who know You, Father, take us from here and make us men and women of prayer concerned for those who are lost and who need You. We thank you for our time together and pray your blessing now in our Savior's precious name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you.